Hi, it's JP Nurman. I just wanted to let you know that we have released our dates for our 2021 Transformational Leadership Retreat out in Park City, Utah. It's an incredible few days. Uh, it's going to be the first week of August where you can join myself, Nate Sanderson, and some other uh, leaders from the TOC community where we are just going to be learning and growing together and just having an incredible, incredible time uh, connecting and discussing uh, things around culture and leadership and personal development. It really is a special, special experience. You can learn more by going to thriveonchallenge.com forward slash retreats. There will also be a link in the details of this episode. It's obviously COVID dependent. Also, if you're just listening to this episode now and, and you feel like it's too late or maybe even you know it's a year down the line, you can still go to that link, thriveonchallenge.com forward slash retreats. We will be continuously updating uh, news about our you know retreats moving forward. It's it's not just about this year. This is something we do yearly, and 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 hopefully, uh, once things settle down across the world with the pandemic, we'll be running multiple retreats uh, again every year. So today we have a jam-packed episode of Coaching Culture for you. We are discussing marketing your culture, and that means everything from social media to interacting with the news media to emails to parents and alumni, how we can use that to market our culture. We're gonna give you a lot of practical ways to reinforce your culture, who you wanna be as a coach, and your coaching mission, because I think so many of us are actually doing things that are unintentional, but they're still disrupting that culture, and they're kind of contrary or contradicting our mission or they're going against our mission as a coach. And others of us are maybe not hurting that, but we're just missing out on some pretty simple and easy ways to reinforce our values, our culture, and our mission. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast brought to you by Thrive on Challenge. I'm JP Nurbin, joined by my friend and co-host, Nate Sanderson. Each week in about 30 minutes, we discuss important principles and strategies of transformational leadership. At Thrive on Challenge, we help coaches to raise the standards and strengthen the relationships in their program because we know this type of culture produces better leaders, better people, and better results. To learn more about how we can help you, go to thriveonchallenge.com where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and get the coaching notes to every episode of this podcast. Well, JP, coaching in the modern world today is a lot different than when I started my career 19 years ago. And I think one of the challenges that coaches face is how do we promote our program? How do we leverage tools like social media to be able to draw people in and help people maybe that aren't even directly connected to the program feel like they're a part of it, whether that's your alumni, whether that's businesses in your community, maybe it's the media, maybe it's extended families. And just to give you an example, the first year that we went to the state tournament, we didn't know we were going to the state tournament. We were a really young team. We're just kind of finding our way. And as we got closer and closer to the playoffs, one of the things that we just sort of did organically was started to make little highlight videos. And we've started to build this email list and a Facebook page where we would just sort of promote the the next game. And we started doing this right at the beginning of the playoffs regional quarterfinal. We did it for the semifinal. We did it for the regional final. And one of the awesome things about the result of that is that gradually, as we went game by game, it felt like the crowd got bigger. And not just the crowd in the stands, but the number of people that were paying attention to our games, the number of people that were encouraging our players in the hallways, the number of people that were reaching out and wishing us good luck and telling kids, hey, I watched the game online, or hey, I saw the video. 
it just created this really unique and I don't know if intimate is the right word, but it felt like there were personal connections all over the place that we'd never really experienced before. And I think a lot of that came from our intentional use of media to draw people in to build this bigger community. Now, JP, you've got a lot of ideas and we're gonna share some strategies that we've used with the coaches in our mentorship program here in this episode. But you and I both know if you open up Twitter and start scrolling through, particularly coach Twitter, you'll see a wide variety of messages and ways that coaches are using Twitter to communicate to their team in some cases, about their teams in other cases. And I wanna just maybe start with, what do you see out there, JP, that you like and maybe you don't like? You know what I love to see, Nate? I love to see coaches that market their culture. And what I mean by that is they're marketing, they're you know, promoting the cultural values that, that, that they're striving for, the experience that they're working so hard to create for their athletes. They're not using social media just to put out there the latest achievements of their team, whether they won a game or an individual's achievement in their program. Also, I really appreciate coaches that use social media as a platform to share good things that they're doing within, within their program that other coaches may learn from. You know, I think that's, there's a lot of value in that. But there are some things that concern me, that frustrate me, and honestly, they worry me sometimes uh, because we as coaches can be pretty hard on our athletes when it comes to the standards or expectations that we have for them in how they use social media. And I guess I'd ask coaches this question to start off with, which is this. Are you currently using social media to model and promote your team's values, your coaching values, like your mission as a coach? Like, are you using it in a positive way? Or are you using social media to vent your frustrations, to lecture your players? I mean, this is a common one that I often see, and I, I've, I've definitely done this before. So if, if you're one of these people, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be calling you out, but there'll be the tweet that says, players in all caps, a couple exclamation marks, and then it will have some sort of point for players to learn about, you know, don't be entitled or, you know, something like that, or work hard or have a good attitude if you want your coach to play you, that those type of messages. And I, that's just not transformational coaching. Like so much of transformational coaching is about engaging in meaningful conversations, asking great questions to get players to, you know, self-reflect, to become more self-aware, to make changes. And I think so often that type of stuff is just calling out players. Another thing I saw recently was I saw a coach calling out parents that sent him an email. I, I, I just don't know how we think that's the right way to handle it. I get that that coach who said, oh, you want to believe what this parent said in the email to me? Like, I get that he was validated in that moment when everybody was retweeting going, oh, yeah, you know, you know just do you and just be you and just stick with it. Like, but could he have done that by picking up the phone and calling some coaching friends? Or, you know, I, I just hope that people could find a community to maybe voice some of those frustrations in a place that would be healthy. I'm just not sure that that's healthy for the culture or that coach's image. And so I, I, I see and I get worried with some of the things that we're doing on social media as coaches because I think it's destructive to our culture. I think it's not who we really truly wanna be as coaches as well. We're here today to talk about marketing your culture, not necessarily just marketing your program. And I understand that your Twitter account or the Twitter account linked to your team 
is often required and it's important to tweet out scores and certain achievements that players may have had, individual achievements. But if that's the only thing that you're tweeting out is when you win the game or when a player makes All-State or they drop 28 points or they have 50 points and they set a school record or if it's only about the achievements on the scoreboard or the awards they're receiving, then that's all you're going to reinforce. That's all people are going to think that matters about your team and your program. They might believe that. And so when I think we're posting to social media, we need to, first off, have posts that are about things that are other than just, you know, the latest score or the highest scores in the game or who got the latest award. We have to find ways to promote the cultural values, the things that are important to us and do that in a positive way. And I guess the last word of caution that I have for coaches is to just... I see this if you're a transformational coach and you're trying to have an impact on people's lives and you know you're a husband or you're a you're a wife and you've got children and you know you want to be seen as something other than just a coach that goes out to win games then I I encourage people to have something in your bio other than just the championships that you've won or the school that you coach at like you're more than just your your wins because i know you think you're definitely more than just your losses right so you're more than just the results so try to include a bio that highlights who you are as a person not just what you have achieved as a coach now nate you've had a lot of success in using social media and building kind of a following and i know you're starting to do that some stuff now at north lynn so I was just thinking, could you share a little bit with us on maybe how to best do that? Well, JP, I don't know if I have all the right answers, but I'll just kind of share how we've approached the use of particularly Twitter and Facebook. And I know we'll get into email a little bit here toward the end of the episode. But I think you're right with Twitter. There's the challenge of a lot of coaches use that to report your scores. Like back in the day, and I know this is going to date me here, but you know, my first year, we had to go to the principal's office after our games and use the fax machine to send in the scorebook to the local newspapers. Well, thank God we don't have to do that anymore, right? You can either use email or you can post your scores and tag the media. It saves so much time and a lot of people can follow and find out results quickly that way. So there is a certain aspect of, and I'm talking particularly about your team Twitter account, where you have a responsibility to report. And I think the question then becomes, as you mentioned before, if I'm on the road and let's say we win a close game 38 to you know 36, the score goes in, I tag the media, what else goes into the 280 characters that I have to tell the story of that game? Now, I think, again, because I'm, I'm serving the media here in a sense, that I'm almost doing a 280 character summary of the game. And so if a player earned recognition, I mean, if they had a double-double, if they you know, were the leading scorer, if they came off the bench and scored eight points, you know, whatever individual effort there, played into our victory, a lot of times I would put that in. Again, just thinking like from a media perspective, okay, this is the information from the game. Here's the score, a couple leading scores, maybe who we have next, you know, on the schedule, something like that. Now, there are some coaches that will just stop there. Like that will be their reporting system to the outside world. I think what we've tried to do then is embrace the idea that if we're going to gradually gain followers, whether that's the student body, whether that's the faculty, whether that's, you know, people around the program, relatives, what else can we communicate about our program using that that Twitter, particularly uh, as a medium? And so, you know, we've done a lot in the past 
to promote games. So if we're going to play on a you know Tuesday night, I would typically, if it was a home game, I would try to find a little video clip from our last game, maybe a, a, a nice pass or a good possession or a deep three or a block shot. And I would do some sort of a creative phrase like, hey, block party tonight at, you know, North Lane High School and have just a clip of a block. And, you know, so there's a little play on words there, right? Or uh, we might say, uh, assist your friends getting to the game and show a couple of really nice passes from our last game. You know, something that that uses visuals. And I think that's another thing that's really valuable that can really boost your audience is if you have access to pictures, whether it's from parents or it's from, you know, the newspaper or you have a photographer or yearbook, wherever you can get photos, people love to see images on Twitter and love to look at short video. And so we've tried to leverage that as well. Every game summary that I did when I was at Linmar would include a picture of, from the game or a picture of a player or a couple pictures. Because again, it just, it just enhances kind of the experience, the visual experience. So using it to promote an upcoming game, I think can be useful. If there's a theme for the student body, you know, just kind of getting those things out there can be useful. And then the other thing I think is useful as that crowd builds is to be able to highlight other things that happen in your season that, that build your story. So if you go and volunteer, if you do shooting Olympics, if you, you know, pick up trash in the parking lot, or like if there's something there that reveals the character of your team, then I think those are special moments that you can share on Twitter as well. You don't necessarily use those to build the following, but once you've built the following, you're educating those followers that, hey, we're more than just about wins and losses and individual achievements and the upcoming games, but here's kind of who we are and what makes us go. And, and so you're in some ways leveraging Twitter as an announcement of information to also reveal who are we and who do we want to be in terms of our culture to those that are kind of drawn in by that source of information. I really appreciate some of the positive ways that, you know, you, examples that you gave people on how to leverage social media, because I think I've fallen into the trap that so many other coaches fall into of we just become another sports center highlight reel. Let's like, we're going to only point out like the big player, the dunk. Like I've had selfish players before on my team but when I look back and I think about the, the social media posts and what made the highlight reels, it was the dunks, right? And I just fed those kind of society, you know, that those sports cultural values that I really didn't want to be a part of my team. Instead of, you know, turning and pivoting and using Twitter to reinforce uh, the things that are really important, which I, I think this is the big thing, is when it comes to marketing our culture, you know, there's many ways that which we can do that and social media being one of them. But I think it's so important that we are proactive in this. And I think most coaches just sit back and then they let others create a story and a narrative around their program that is sometimes what they want to hear and is sometimes true and sometimes it's not. You know, and maybe we sit around, we're waiting for the reporter to come in and, you know, pull back the curtain and then tell our story. But we can pull back the curtain and tell our story and what is going on within our program. There's many ways to do that, but the value is it reinforces the values of the program, and it reinforces the message not only for our players, but the players' parents, and the people that would might be considering coming into our program. And I have one coach in the mentorship program, and he is one of the, uh, coaching one of the top uh, high school basketball teams in the country. People 
all over the New Jersey and New York area are coming to his program because of the success they've had, but also because of the culture that he's built and continuously trying to find ways to market that culture is really important because he doesn't want the wrong players coming because it just creates more resistance and more challenges for his culture, the team's culture. He wants to market the culture in the right way so that it attracts the right people for the right reasons. And one other thing I'd say, kind of just building off of what you said earlier there is just, if you have someone that takes photos at your game, encourage them to take photos, not just of the the basketball or the football or whoever in the action shot, but take photos of those team culture moments when people are getting picked up off the ground, when they're on the sidelines and the team celebrating. Try to intentionally capture, because you, you mentioned photos and videos, how can you capture those moments as often as possible um, so that you can highlight what you're about beyond you know, making another sports center highlight reel be your Twitter account. Now, JP, another question, I think right along the same lines of what you're describing here, how do we tell our story? You know, and in some ways, especially if you're a high school coach, you know, you have to kind of do it all right. Like you don't have a sports information director that's going to be responsible for your media guides and do your social media for you and your game previews and your game summaries. And, you know, that's all on us or it's on the coaches, at least as much as you want to do with it. But one question we get a lot of times, too, is whether it's Twitter or Facebook or whatever your your exterior communication you know, vehicle is, is how do I tell the story of a loss? You know, an embarrassing loss. I mean, what happens if you go somewhere and you get blown out by 25? You got to post it on Twitter because everybody's looking for scores on Twitter. So how can you reinforce something? Right. And I think the question that I would challenge coaches with is even in a bad loss, what did you do or what did you see your team do that you want to keep doing regardless of the score? So in other words, if your bench was still enthusiastic, even though you only scored 21 points, or if you got contributions from players that don't normally get in the rotation, or if you saw your team keep fighting at the end, or there's some of those values like you talked about, whether it's resiliency or it's grit or it's embracing failure as an opportunity to learn, I think even in that, you know, here's the score, here's the leading score, and here's what I saw my team do tonight, you know, in just a sentence can be a really powerful way, again, to just sort of subtly shape the narrative about how are we even going to view our losses or our bad games? You have some control over that. And I think your team does respond to that, especially when it's consistent with what you're telling them in the locker room or in practice following some of those tough games. Yeah. And I think another thing I would mention here is well, when it comes to those losses, because we're going to have a lot of losses in most of us as coaches. And how we use, you know, social media can be so important here. For me, you know, competition is is one of my core values as a coach, but I try to really constantly preach to my players that it's about being the best that we can be. It's not about being better than somebody else, but it's also about striving together, even with our opponents. Like they they challenge us and they test us. So I think the more that we can take time to even maybe tweet out an acknowledgement of the other opponents, something that they did well. And, you know, we were grateful to have them come into our town or if they went into, you went to their place, like how you were great, you know, finding something positive about that experience, but finding ways to honor our opponent and, and tag them and whatever social media tweet. I think stuff like that is really classy 
but it comes back to reinforcing the values of, of what we're about. There's another way that we can tell our stories in more than 280 characters. And one of the things that we've done over the years at different programs I've been a part of is trying to build a Facebook page for that program. And again, Facebook gives you some different options that you don't have on Twitter. You can still post video on both. You know, you can still post post pictures. But on Facebook, it's it reaches a different audience for one. And it gives you a little bit more space to write the literal story of the game or about a player or about something that's happened in your program. And so over the years, as we started to build these pages out, you know, every night when I would get home from a game, couldn't sleep anyway, open up the film and kind of watch it and double speed or whatever. And I just start sort of writing out in three or four paragraphs. What was the story of the game? You know, a little bit of the game flow. We got out early. They made a little bit of a run. And then we got two big baskets from J.P. Nervin to get some separation and made free throws down the stretch. So it's just like a two paragraph, three paragraph summary of the game itself. And then, you know, a little bit of editorial about what did we learn? Who played well? What did I like that we did? If you were watching the game and you're saying, oh, how's this team growing? You know, you might say something like you saw tonight. We've been practicing our efforts on the boards and we only gave up six offensive rebounds, our best effort of the season. So you're reinforcing Again, some of the things you're talking about in practice, but it's a way to kind of educate your fans that maybe aren't at the game, you know, and I know Facebook is a little bit dated and and maybe it's for an older demographic. But I also think that it, it provides a way to connect, particularly with alumni and a lot of um, older, you know, relatives of players and parents and coaches, that sort of thing, where they can feel like I can't make it to the game. Maybe they can't watch it online, but now they have a sense because Maybe the newspapers don't cover every one of your high school games. Here's a way for them to get a game summary, but do it in a way that you can craft the narrative about what we're most proud of or what we learned or what we did best in that game. And what's really awesome is that if you go back through that page over the year and eventually over the years, because people will share those stories and they'll share the videos and the things you post there, is that you can start to see how even the program grows You know, through the course of a season, how your team has improved just from kind of those little narrative summaries along the way. I think the other thing that we I want to talk about, because I think you're good at this, I really wasn't very good at it for so long, which is just the media, like the news media. For When, when I went from Ireland to Tennessee, well, when I was coaching in Ireland, you nobody ever called you because nobody cares about basketball that much in Ireland, at least as far as the major news sources. Um, but when I came to Tennessee, it was like this whole new experience. And so as a young novice coach, you know, I'm there and, you know, reporters would approach me. And I think my attitude, and I'm very transactional at this moment as a coach, but when they would interview me after a loss, I didn't really want to talk to them. And I, and I would, I was more like Greg Popovich or Bill Belichick, except it wasn't so cute. And I didn't have, you know, national or world championships to go with it. So it was really embarrassing for me. And I remember even once sticking my foot in my mouth when I, you know, complained about the referees. And honestly, I didn't get a call for the next three years. And uh, because they set out on a mission to, to teach me a lesson. And eventually the lesson settled in, you know, that I actually, you know, I had an opportunity with that reporter to, to, to once again, to tell a story. And it could be a story about well, you know, like we're not working hard enough and, you know, it's all about how badly we played or I could take time to honor our opponent and when we did lose and when we did win, I could bring it back to yes, but it was about our process and it was about how we won, not that we won. And these are things that I really wanted to be, you know, reiterated 
to the news media because yes, people once again they're picking that up and they're reading a story. And what is that story about? Um, and, and and over time, I think that that provides a lot of value. Well, JP, I think full disclosure, we've never been the center of the media universe in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. But as you go through the season, you know, you may have a, a newspaper that covers a couple of your games or all of your games. You may have radio guys that are doing a couple of your games or they're doing the whole season. We've had a couple of games broadcast on television, you know, during the year. So there are frequent opportunities to interact with those that are going to be telling the stories from your games. And the thing that we've always tried to do, and I've Full disclosure, this takes time. It really does. But anytime I know that the media is going to cover one of our games, whether it's newspaper, radio, or television, I always tried to create a little media guide for them that I would either email to them that day or I would just print it out and have it for them when they got to our gym. And so, you know, there's different ways to do this, but my approach to it is thinking they have a job to do too. You know, and so they're looking for an angle. They're looking for a story. They don't know a lot about your team. They don't know a lot about your bench. They don't know a lot about how you're practicing or what's important to you. And so even before the game is covered, even before the game starts, you know, I'll give them, here's the starting lineup. Here's updated statistics for our averages during the season. Here's a quick one or two paragraph summary of our last game. Not just the score. We won 37, 35, but kind of what happened in the game, you know, what we did well, whatever. And then a quick preview of this game. Here's what we expect, or here's something about their team and how we're going to attack it, what we're trying to do. And then I would usually share the three keys to the game that we're going to share with our team in pregame. And I would put those at the bottom of the media guide as well. And then before the game starts, if you have this opportunity, and a lot of times we did because the media guys would show up early, I just try to find them and and talk to them, you know, and a lot of times they'll have questions about how things are going or, you know, you can give them a little bit of background that helps them do their job. And I think there's so much to that, that, you know, they're human beings and they've got good days and bad days and busy schedules during the, the sports season as well. So the more I could help them do their job well and represent our team and our program in a way that quite honestly benefits the outside perception of our program. And the only other thing I'd add to that, JP, is that if you're fighting for the media's attention, I mean, if it's good for your program to be in the newspaper and for kids to see their pictures in the paper the next day, the better you can treat those reporters, the more that you can help them do their job, the more likely they are to come back. And I think sometimes when you treat you know, the media poorly and they're looking at a schedule of eight different games they could go to, and they think, well, I don't want to deal with this jerk tonight because he's probably going to lose the game. So I'm going to go somewhere else. That's a disservice to your team, you know, and a disservice to your program. And I think along the same lines, when we know that someone's going to be there, we talk about this at our parent meeting. When you see the newspaper reporter sitting up in the bleachers or on the sidelines, as a parent, as a player, just thank them for their coverage. I mean, you may not agree with everything that they write, but just thanking them and making a welcoming environment makes it more likely for them to return. Now, one other thing that can be a little bit tricky with coaches is what about when they want to talk to my players? There are some players that aren't the most articulate on your teams, most likely. And so we will talk to our kids even about that. And the thing that we tell them is that when you're being interviewed on the radio, you're being interviewed on TV or for the newspaper, there's a spotlight on you and you get to choose what you do with that spotlight. It's like your moment to control the attention. And you can focus that on yourself and say, oh, yeah, I felt great to get 20 points and 10 rebounds tonight, or 
I've been really working hard on my game and it's great to see this, you know, me improve or my breakthrough or, or whatever. You can tell your own story, but you can also reflect that light and reflect that attention as a teammate on others. You know, so acknowledging maybe whatever they want to talk about. Yeah, I had a great game tonight, but did you see how well our point guard took care of the ball? Or did you see the energy from our bench? Or did you see, you know, it's a chance for the player to use the opportunity to have the control over the spotlight, to shine it on somebody else on their team that may not get those moments in the media. And what we've found with our players that are nervous about talking to the media, that are a little bit uncomfortable there, is that they tend to find it more enjoyable and easier to talk about others on their team than just themselves. And so that's been a great approach for us to encourage our players to do as well. Well, one of the other tools that's been really effective for us over the years, JP, is just the use of email. And I know email kind of gets a bad name these days because messages get lost in the inbox and not everybody checks their mail. Not everybody gets notifications on their phones when they get a new email or it gets lost in the noise of all the emails that they're getting. But one of the things I like about using email is it sort of provides a gateway or a portal for people that might be loosely associated to either me as a person or to our program. And it gives them the option of click on this, click on this. If you want to watch the game, here's the link. If you want to read the game summary, here's the media link to the newspaper article. If you want to listen to the play-by-play, -play, here's the link, right? And it makes it easy and accessible for them if they want to, and they're not able to get to the game or they live far away, but they're interested in your team or they're interested in following you as a person, Email makes that really simple. And over the years, we've really built a pretty large email distribution list, again, of just people that are connected to us or the program. It includes not just our team and their parents, but we'll send it to all the youth teams, all the youth coaches and their parents. If those kids have school email addresses, we'll bomb them with the emails about the game. You know, we'll send it to our teachers and the staff. We'll send it to coaches in our community. I, I've got a list of about 150 friends over the last year or so that they get the the emails and the hype videos sent to them. And every once in a while, you know, I'll get an email back and that says, hey, I watched the game or I love the video or good luck tonight. And they'll ask about it. And it's just a great way to, again, just to build the program. So another way to leverage those emails too, Nate, is I've seen one coach, you know, he doesn't have a blog per se, but he's doing various culture days with his team based on you know, things that he might come across in his reading and listening to podcasts and books. And then he tries to help communicate that as a message to the team and maybe an activity. But then he takes that message and he shares it with his alumni. And the alumni hear the message. Hey, this is the message we're giving to our team. The, the cool thing though is these alumni love the message so much because they see and how it still applies to their own life that they started forwarding those emails to other people. And this, what was initially an alumni email list has now become this growing just list of people that really enjoy what is happening at that high school. Like they just love the stories, they love the lessons, and they find it valuable. So just another way to kind of maybe engage with your alumni, which I also think, you know, we've talked about before in the podcast, leveraging those relationships and way to pour into those really can be beneficial for you as a program, uh, not just to bringing the right people into it, but bringing some money into it when you wanna have that ask. Uh, the other thing that I would say that I've seen coaches leverage with the email really well is the weekly internal message uh, to the program that's to the parents. And they go beyond 
here's the things we need you to do, and this is where we need your kid, or this is where we need to be. But they take time to reflect on the previous week, you know, reflect on if they had a few games, share what's going on within their culture. Maybe if they had a culture day and they were doing an activity, share that because we all know teenagers and college students don't always talk about what's going on in their lives, their parents, and the communication is broken there. Then it's also not just to say, hey, we're playing these games on this day, but maybe give a bit of a scouting report, which is so valuable because there's been instances where I know in one coach's instance where they were playing a team that was like two and seven, but they were a really good team that was two and seven and they were probably not going to win. And he was able to ground the the parents' uh, expectations that this was a game they should win. But it's just one other way to continuously try to communicate and be a positive influence in the parents of our athletes who are one of the biggest influencers in their lives. Everything you've described there is really the art of framing, right? We're shaping and framing expectations about upcoming games. We're helping people to interpret and understand what just happened, what our intentions are, why we do what we do. It's all about storytelling. And when you're starting to use some of these different methods, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, or a blog, or an email. Um, what you're doing is you're trying to shape the narrative around your program to be able to highlight, hopefully, the things that are most important as they're reflected in your culture. And as we head out the door this week, there's two things that I would say to coaches as you're listening to this episode. Number one, we've described a lot. I would not encourage you to go out and revamp your Twitter and start a Facebook page and build an email list and start a blog all before next season. But figure out which of those is going to best connect with the audience that you want to invite into what you're doing. And then just gradually add from there. As you mentioned before, JP, you know, you can have assistant coaches that maybe take the Facebook page and do the short game summary, or you have an assistant coach that's going to contribute to the blog or do an interview with a player. So it doesn't have to be a one-man show when it comes to being the sports information director for your program. The other thing that has been a challenge for me over the years, and I've been doing the email list and these kind of things probably for 10 years now, is that most of the time it feels like I'm just throwing an email into the abyss because you hear nothing in response. You know, you put a lot of time into making a video, you put a lot of time into doing your game summaries and trying to craft the media on Twitter, and there's no response. And what I found over time is typically at the end of a season or at some point, maybe when a player graduates, a parent will come back and the player will come back and they'll say, this was such a special experience because of how much time you put into promoting the program for our kids. They don't say it every time you send an email. They don't say it every time you make a post on social media. But I would tell coaches it's worth it. It really is worth the intentionality and the investment even if you don't feel that dopamine hit of an immediate response, an immediate thank you, a bunch of immediate views or immediate likes, it will serve you and your program and your players in the long run if you're willing to take some steps to be intentional about telling your stories. Coaches, thanks for listening to the podcast. You can learn more about Thrive on Challenge, our workshops, our online coaching courses, our mentorship program, and our community. Just go on over to thriveonchallenge.com.